special edition of the Gaggle Podcast, where we talk politics inside of Arizona and beyond. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. And I'm Rob O'Dell. Together, we have been working on uh, various stories about the state's school voucher style program, known as the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. This is the controversial program that has launched a referendum uh, set for November 2018. It's a program that allows uh, certain students to use public money to pay for private, private and religious schools. And it's been backed by some of the state's most powerful interests, including Kathy Herod, who is the president of the Center for Arizona Policy. We uh, recently received a recording that captured an unscripted, pretty frank conversation that um, Kathy Herod was having with some Christian school operators about her views on the program. Why was this recording so significant? I, I think it was significant just like what you said. Uh, it's just that it's unscripted and sort of an varnished look of, uh, you know, her, her, uh, her real thoughts of the program. I mean, as lobbyists, you typically get, you know, like their, their bullet points and their, you know, very um, polished, uh, you know, views and thoughts. This was a, um, you know, an unscripted tape with uh, Christian school backers, uh, you know, where she talked a lot about her, her near total objection to testing of private school students. You know, even if they get money from the public, she's against uh, any testing and reporting of, of, uh, of private school scores to the government. It's okay to the parents, but not to the government. And then also, secondly, and I think just as importantly, um, the idea that you know you could use this public money for Christian schools and and private schools to expand their schools and also open new ones. And it came at a pretty critical time. It comes as the state legislature is weighing whether or not it's going to kind of repeal or replace this uh, expanded program that uh, they backed last year. Uh, and we've heard from a lot of lawmakers who wanted to hear for themselves the tape um, yeah, unfiltered. And so if you are a subscriber to the Gaggle podcast, you will get this recording um, several days ahead of AZ Central subscribers. So go ahead and clear your schedules. Uh, for the next 28 minutes, you can hear the tape unfiltered. And listen for yourself. Well, I have um, 901, so I'm going to go ahead and just open this up with a word of prayer. And then I know we have some other people to join, and they can just join on, and we can go from there. So, Father God, we come before you this day, and we just thank you for the faith that you've given us. We thank you for the tender mercies that we receive from you each and every day. We thank you for the gifts that, we that you bestow on us. And we just come before you and ask for your continued wisdom. Lord, I thank you for these school choice leaders, for these headmasters and, and school principals and, and superintendents who are standing in the gap, who are providing um, just a biblical worldview and education to the students in our state. I pray that you would bless each school, that you would meet their needs. And, Lord, I pray as we go through this legislative session that you would give us wisdom and discernment that can only come from you to see um, what, what's workable and what's not, and that we would most of all have a united front, and that we would be able to ensure that every parent is able to provide the school setting that best meets their children's needs. So, Lord, we give this time to you, and we pray, as always, that it would be for your glory and that you would be honored. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, okay. to start off with, I wanted to pull this call together to just talk about with what's going on in the Arizona legislature as it regards school choice and private schools. I think most of you know that at Center for Arizona Policy, 
we endeavor to be your advocates to look out for what's going on at the Capitol and how it might affect private education in our state, especially private Christian schools. I think most of you probably know that I came out of the private Christian school world as a, as a mom. My kids went through um, Christian school in Arizona, and so I've always considered it my personal um, charge as well as um, something that we do at Center for Arizona Policy. You know, as always, our, our policy, our philosophy at CAP is that we don't make a value statement how a parent should educate their child. We want to support the parent in whatever that educational choice is. So what's going on um, with school choice legislation to get started is this is the year, in everyone's view, to expand the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program to um, have every student in public and charter schools um, eligible to get an ESA. The bill that has been introduced is Senate Bill 1431, and it, it just was introduced yesterday at 2 o'clock, and it has a, a bill number now. What, 14, what Senate Bill 1431 does, it's um, sponsored by Senator Debbie Lesko, and it expands eligibility to all students in public or charter schools phased in over the next four calendar school years beginning in 2017-2018. It's a stair-step kind of um, how it is phased in. So, for example, in the 2017-2018 year, the bill would um, increase eligibility to students in a kindergarten program or grades 1, 6, and 9. Then it goes up from there to 1, 2, 6, 7, 9, and 10, and et cetera, until all students in K through 12 are eligible to get an ESA. The bill, as currently drafted, retains the current cap that limits that to about 5,400 students per year. That cap is set to expire, I believe, in 2020. I'm not sure. I, you, you all probably know the, number, the year better than I do. Um, we are not addressing the cap issue. Um, we will see what happens. Um, when the cap goes off, it means that all million public school students in Arizona would be eligible for uh, an ESA. We are, of course, we know that the opponents are going to scream mightily about that. The main um, issue with the ESA expansion, you know, we're not calling it a universal voucher bill. We're, we're just saying that it, it expands eligibility. So what it's doing right now is just expanding eligibility. Um, to get this through the legislature and meet the governor's approval, the general consensus among the school choice um, leaders was that we needed to have some type of an accountability provision in there. I think most of you know that I come to this issue with a long history of opposing any government regulation of students in private schools government regulation of private schools, um, and especially testing, any kind of government-mandated testing of students in private schools. So as I approached this and worked with others, um, I will tell you that Goldwater Institute that has long favored testing of students in private schools has been our ally in this and has been very cooperative in, um, in what we've tried to craft. So the accountability provision that we have crafted for the bill is a combined effort of Goldwater Institute, CAP, and Arizona Catholic Conference. Um, I've tried to approach it with my hill to die on, as I've told members, is a, to preserve private school autonomy, um, that there's no government designation of acceptable tests, that we don't have the Arizona Department of Education or any other government entity saying that a student with an ESA in a private school, here are the five tests and you have to choose from one of these five tests, and have, to have no reporting of the test results to a governmental entity or an independent research entity, the Florida law requires that the results get reported to the government and that they get reported to an independent research entity. Well, I'm sorry, Florida law requires a menu of tests that the government puts out that are acceptable 
and then that the test results get reported to an independent entity entity for analysis. So here's I'm going to read to you what we have in the bill now, and then you know we'll certainly um, you know feel free to at, um, interrupt me at any point with questions or that type of thing. But what is in here for accountability now is you all know that the ESA program when the parent gets an ESA for their student they have to sign an agreement with the um, Department of Education. So part of that agreement would also include the beginning in the 2017-2018 school year that a qualified student um, has to, in grades 3 through 12 must take a nationally standardized norm-referenced achievement examination and advanced placement examination or any examination related to college or university admissions that assesses reading and mathematics. The examination results shall be reported to the parent of the student. And then the paragraph does not apply to a student who is identified as having a disability under Section 504, um, that one who has um, a, a disability is defined in Section 15, well, some of the Arizona statutes, and then a child with a dis disability who is eligible to receive services from a school district under 15763 in Arizona statutes. So trying to exempt um, out from the testing requirement, obviously, the special needs students. So all it requires right now is that the parent has to agree that the student will take the nationally norm reference achievement test, advanced placement test, or a college entrance exam. Our team at CAP has surveyed, most of you have gotten a call, hopefully you're the ones that responded, but we have surveyed something like almost 200 private schools in Arizona. We have about 170 roughly that we have identified as not being you know, specific to special needs, and almost every one of you are, take, are giving some kind of a norm reference standardized achievement test. Um, it, it's kind of split between Iowa Tested Basic Skills and Terra Nova. And so our argument to the legislature will basically be that um, you're already testing, um, that, you know, that there's really the, the accountability is in the parent, and that there's not a need to have a government-mandated test, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the dynamics of this is that some of the legislators who oppose any kind of testing requirement as part of the ESA program, they are struggling with this and struggling with accepting it. So we're walking on eggshells between those who want more testing, more accountability, and those who want none. And the goal is to get 16 votes in the Senate and 31 votes in the House to get this through and to the governor's office. Um, I would tell you that American Federation for Children and the bill sponsor would like to go further on testing, but the rest of the school choice groups that are involved have basically signed off on this language. We will have a united front, um, but just so you know, the division does still exist, but we are presenting a united front. The other thing that I want to mention that doesn't get emphasized enough, I think, in the ESA program is that Arizona Revised Statutes 15-2404 is what says that on the, on the, it's the ESA part in our Arizona law, and it says that, um, it does, that no government agency can exercise control or supervision over any non-public school or home school, that a qualified school should not be required to alter its creed, practices, admissions policy, or curriculum in order to accept students who pay, whose parents pay tuition or, free, or fees from an ESA. So the law still, that is unchanged. So the law that says you can't be required, you, you take an ESA student, the government cannot force you to alter your creed, practices, admissions policies, curriculum, that is still there. They cannot supervise you. So that, that is still, a, I think, a fairly significant safeguard, you know, should the government start to move in that direction. So that's, um, you know, the other thing that just clarifies that comes up is, well, what about homeschools? 
Well, homeschools are not eligible to get ESAs. If you are a homeschool parent and you sign the parent agreement to have an ESA for your child, then you are what's called a contracted educator. So this is not going to impact homeschooling. If someone wants to homeschool, then they become a contract educator, not a homeschool um, for purposes of Arizona law and any of these requirements. So um, the Senate education hearing on this bill likely will be February 9th. So let me pause right there, and I'm interested in any feedback, any questions on does the accountability provision make you choke? Does it sound acceptable? Um, what, any thoughts on that? Uh, Kathy, this is John O'Hare down at Desert. Um, could you explain um, the, the rollout of this starting with the K-1, 6, and 9? Uh, if, if I heard you right, the, the only the, the cap would be on the number of students eligible or are all kindergarten, first, sixth, and ninth grade eligible? All would be eligible. So beginning in 2017 to 2018, a child who currently attends or is eligible to attend a public school and a kindergarten program or any of grades one, six, and nine would be eligible to get an ESA. The total number of students that can go into the program in 2017-2018 right now stands at the 5,400, I think I have that number right, at 5,400 students. My understanding is the students that currently qualify for an ESA don't begin to approximate the 5,400. So there's plenty of room for more students to go in, but until the cap issue is resolved, it will not be able to take more than 5,400 students per year. So then yeah, in 2018-2019 yeah. school year, it goes up from where it's grades one, six, and nine. Then in year two of the program, you add in two, seven, and 10. Then in year three, you add in um, six through, let's see, it's- um, yeah, Three, eight, and 11. You, you just you keep, you go grades one through three and grades six through 11. And then in the last year, you're adding in um, any of the grades one through 12. Right. We can send you the bill so you can see it, because I, I may not be explaining it as, as carefully as I can, but the thinking, that it needs to be phased in because um, we couldn't have all grades one through 12 at one time. So it was kind of a stair step phased in so that, for example, you know, the intent sure. is, is that in the first year you get the kids that are in grades one, six, and nine because you, you're beginning elementary school, junior high, or middle school, and high school. Right, right. More or less. Yeah, so is the 5,400, that's on a first come, first serve basis then? Yes. And so in the, the current law, it does allow, you know, a student who already has an ESA. So if there, I, I shouldn't quote a number, but say there are 2,000 students right now with ESAs, they would be eligible to have the ESA next year. Then you would have an additional 3,400 students that would have an ESA. So yes, my understanding is that it would be first come, first serve, but um, that's, that's a good question, but that's my understanding. Very good, thank you. Any yeah, um, any thoughts on the account of, on the testing provision? I mean, you're already doing it, so um, yeah. it doesn't really change Kathy, anything. This, Kathy, this is Eric Dowdell at Costas Christian School in Tucson. Um, yeah, just a quick statement on accountability here here at our school. It's, it's just as more than reasonable. Um, just a question on um, the strategy here. Um, has there been discussion on uh, whether or not we may need to increase accountability even beyond this testing requirement in order to get it passed? Is there a 
kind of a second level of accountability that people are willing to propose or accept? Um, well, yes and no. We have had the discussions. The two um, things that are most often mentioned is that graduation Morning. rates of students with an ESA would be reported to the Department of Education or um, that a parent satisfaction survey would be conducted. My view is that the opponents who are going to oppose this bill, adding more accountability is not going to gain us votes. And so it's kind of how I look at legislation. You know, if it's, if it, I don't think the accountability provisions will be increased unless it becomes necessary to get 31 and 16. And I think, and I think because we've got agreement among the school choice working group, I think we'll be okay. The problem is if, if the accountability provisions were increased in any way, then we're going to lose votes of those who oppose testing. Because I will tell you there are some legislators that even if every private school um, leader in Arizona said they supported the accountability provisions, there are some legislators who would say, too bad, we're not going to vote for it. So, I mean, we just have, and I, you know, and of course I come to this as one who's been opposed to any kind of accountability provisions for a very long time, and there's some other, some legislators who, frankly, I think I upset them because I signed off on these accountability provisions and, and helped to craft them. I mean, we drafted them. Um, our team drafted them, and, and we, you know, we had a weaker one that wasn't going to fly, we thought. So, you know, we think that, you know, I keep saying that this is already a significant concession for private school people and the legislators who oppose, have opposed accountability through the years. And so, I, you know, there, there are some fallback provisions, but, um, and I will say, please don't quote me on this, I need to be careful, but I think, you know, the governors, um, you know, we do work with the governor's team on some of these things. And so I, I think that, that we can with a very, very credibly say that this is accountability, this is about empowering the parent to choose the best education for their child, and this does require testing. And as I had one dad tell me recently, it's not like I'm writing a $10,000 check without holding the school accountable for what's going on with my children. Kathy, this is John O'Hara again. I uh, just want to let you know that the, uh, the accountability part of it is not a problem uh, for the desert community. In fact, I, I think we can learn from the history that when homeschooling first started in Arizona, they required testing. And after four years, the state got rid of the testing because the students were doing so well compared to the public schools that they didn't want egg on their face. And my thing is, uh, yeah, go ahead and test our kids, particularly in reading and math. Um, it's going to make the public schools really uncomfortable. Well, and I, I think that, you know, some who want the results reported to the government, it's so that they can show that students in private schools are doing better. I just think that's a path that we don't want to go down um, with the government. Uh, you know, I'm, my concern is that if we allow regulation, government regulation of private schools, then we're no longer um, private schools. We're on our way to becoming governmental, you know, government schools. So um, one question I have is, um, I need to. Our team's been doing the research, but do you post your test results? You know, we're also trying to check on which, you know, to have some examples. Like, does Desert post their test results on their website? 
Uh, no, we, we don't, but we do give it to every parent. So every okay, parent... Okay, so when a parent applies to um, Desert for their student, they, they get the test results. Uh, yes, we, we inform them of, of our results and what we're doing, but we don't post them publicly. Yeah, I'm not I, don't, saying I that, would not I'm, think I'm, I'm that there's not a private we never do state that, that doesn't say something to parents about test results, because why would a parent enroll your child in a private school if you didn't know how the test, how the, how the school is doing on tests? No, we, we, we do post general, general, but we don't get to the specifics. Okay. Who had, so who's Kathy, speaking Kathy, up? Kathy, uh -huh. this is Mike Sproul at Tri-City and Chandler. Hi. Hi. So we, we do exactly what he was just saying, which is we, we post, like, here's the 12th grade aggregate, here's the 11th grade aggregate mm -hmm. on, online. We do do that. Um, but we will obviously let individual parents, we give them their, their right. child's test results. And we're, we've done Stanford 10. I think last year we picked switched over to Iowa, but we've, we've always done that. So as you and I have already talked repeatedly, uh, we have no problem. Our, all of the schools that we kind of hang with would agree that this, we all do this, and that's you know, probably 15 or 20 schools that I know of. <laughs> we already all do this kind of accountability with our parents. So I, you know, I don't, if somebody balks at that accountability, I, my kind answer is, well, you don't have to take the money. I, I will say that I would prefer not to go any further than that if we didn't have to. You know, I, I, I prefer to have it limited. I think most of us are there. So yeah. that's kind Thank of... You. That's, yeah, that's my goal, that we don't go any further and that we have a united front. I am still dealing with a homeschool question that I hope to get resolved by the end of today. Um, you know, my understanding is homeschoolers don't want any part of this. The other thing I should, uh, should emphasize, my understanding is, um, so you could have students with ESAs and then still have the individual scholarship and corporate scholarship tax credit programs are not being impacted by this ESA expansion. And, you know, what, you know, what we don't know will happen at this point is right now you all know in the corporate scholarship tax credit that there's the inflator on that that's, what, 20% a year that it goes up? and that that cap has been being met very quickly that first, you know, the first couple of days of July every year now. Um, there's, you know, the, the different, well, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization, but it's the Democrats who rail against these programs. Um, most of the, 90% of the Republicans are in support of them. But, you know, the, when they start talking about, there's a concern on the corporate tax credit, two concerns. The opponents rail about how much it's going to grow and all of that. But right now, um, reducing the inflator, having a cap on the inflator, that is not a part of any of these discussions at this point. There is a little bit of a concern that as our corporate tax rates go down, that you can plot out at what point there's not much left on corporate income tax. And so we need to expand the pool of taxes available for the corporate scholarship tax credit. So those discussions are underway, but I don't know that anything on that will happen this year. So, if, so to wrap up on the ESA expansion bill, it's 1431. It's going to be heard on February 9th. Any stories that you have to send in about children that are flourishing with an ESA, please send them to us. We're always on the lookout for stories, and that will be you know, very beneficial. American Federation for Children is embarking on a pretty ambitious um, digital media campaign and I think radio campaign as well to just you know, you know show the benefits of school choice and the ESA program. The other thing I want to mention that is, a, is going to be heard this week is Senate Bill 1281, 
1281 is the what we call its revisions to the ESA program, and it's the Fix-It Bill. Um, on our website, within the next day, and by, by the end of today, we should have posted on our AZ policy website our fact sheet and the link to Senate Bill 1281. Basically, this what 1281 does is it goes, it makes about I don't know, probably close to 12 or 15 changes in how the ESA program operates, and the whole purpose of it is to address issues that have come up. That, and you all are, I'm sure, much more aware of this than I am. But the Arizona Department of Education has just been problematic in their uh, operation of the program. And so the, um, Senator Steve Smith is sponsoring that bill, and it will be heard this Thursday morning in Senate Education to just take care of some of the issues that have come up on, on what's going on in, in the ESA program. So I'm probably not very good at answering questions on that, but we'll, we can send it to you, or you can just go to our website at least by tomorrow morning and, and look at our fact sheet. And, or go on to azledge.gov and you can click in on, there's a thing at the very top to put in a bill number, put in 1281 and you can read the bill and then just holler if you have any questions about that. Um, the other thing that I would say just um, on the efforts to, on all the bad bills that always get introduced to oppose school choice, to me the, the opponents are, have changed their strategy slightly this year like on, when they talked about the budget, usually they would call for elimination of the school choice programs. Instead, their first or second bullet point in their budget proposal was to, um, I think, change to limit the increase in the, in the corporate scholarship tax credit and to limit the, I mean, to do something with the um, credit, um, with the ESA, um, with, with removing that cap. So, so and then the bills that they've introduced, they're just nitpicking at it. You know, they're trying to change recommendations or they're trying to change the inflator. So, you know, there are probably close to a dozen bills introduced by now that somehow harm it, the school choice programs, but they're just taking off bits and pieces. So I, we still don't believe that any of these will get a hearing. There's only one that's been sponsored by a Republican, and that's by Representative Doug Coleman and Senator Kate Brophy-McGee, and that bill would reduce the corporate scholarship tax credit inflator, I believe is what it does. So it's just trying to reduce the amount of money that's available for the scholarships. Um, I anticipate that the opposed to school choice bills that have been introduced will all be fodder for floor amendments on the ESA expansion bill, and that when it hits the Senate floor, that we're likely to see a number of amendments to try to chip away at the program. So it, it will be a big floor flight. There's no question about it. Um, we believe we have Governor Ducey's strong support. He mentioned, I know that Pastor Mike Sproul has, has talked to the governor, um, but he mentioned even in a public setting last week, and, and in a state of the state address, he mentioned that he supports school choice for everyone. So he's, um, he's not talking specifics at this point, but every indication we have is that this is the year that the governor wants to see this happen. Hey, Kathy, this is Mike Sproul again. Uh -huh. uh, can, I, can I ask you two quick questions? And I was dealing with a school dilemma, and I got on three, three minutes too late. Um, am I, I'm understanding right that this, this bill is only for K-5 or transfer students, incoming K-5 or transfer students from charter or public, correct? On the expansion bill on ESA? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. for any student in public or charter school. There's still that requirement that you've been in the – um, right. public or charter school for not 100 days beforehand. Right. That still is in there. Case, and then, and then it's the phased-in program where the first year of 2017-2018 is when it's kindergarten grades 1, 6, and 9. Right. 
Okay, so yeah. I got that. So one of the quick questions, does that cap, let's say we've got 2,500 kids in ESA, I don't know what that number is, and the cap is, what, 5,500 or something like that. Right, right. Does it, does it go up to, like, 10,000, 15,000? What does it do over the next few years if you had more, or is it just capped at whatever, 5,500, and it's not going to go up? My understanding is it's capped at that, what, it's 0.05% per, of, I mean, it's a percentage number. It's a percentage number of the students, I think, in public schools, and so that's what is a, a number of, the number I've been told is more like, is 5,400 is what the number is now. And that cap stays on. It doesn't go up. There's not any percentage increase in the law built into that, but then it goes off in 2020. I believe it's 2020 when it goes off. So the, okay. the explosion that could happen is that in 2020, all million public school students would be eligible for an ESA. And so whether that becomes a negotiating point as the bill moves through and that, has, and that cap has to be somehow altered, we don't know that yet. Okay. Well, that's, 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 that's fair enough. I mean, if, yeah. Okay. But that, there's a time in the future because I could see this 10, 15, 20,000 students maybe in six or seven or eight years. One, I don't ever see it, every student. But, I mean, you could get more. 5,500 seems to me to be a pretty low number down the road five years from now. That's all. Well, yeah, and I think so. And then, and it's still 90% of the what comes out of the general fund for um, public school students. So it's the 90, the 5,200 was the figure I heard last week. Sometimes we hear 5,500 per public school student. So it's roughly 4,500 is what the amount of the ESA would be. So it's about it's about 4,500 is the ESA number. Right. Yeah. Okay. Average. Now there's still that issue that if it's a special needs student that it would, you know, that the public school would be, it would cost them 25000 a year to educate the, the student and then they go to a private school, then that, that's 90% of that. But for the, the non-special needs student, my understanding is it's going to be 90% of what you would get in the public schools, and that's what's 4500 So when you talk about trying to expand your schools or open new schools with ESA students, it'd be 4500 per student. Gotcha. Okay, Kathy, that was great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Anything else? Any other questions or comments from anyone? You know, we need to. Um, we, it really helps us to be able to, you know, say that I've talked. I'm talking to private schools. That you know, who's concerned about this and all of that. You're welcome to attend the hearing. Um, at February 9th at nine o'clock is when the um, 1431 hearing is likely to be. Uh, they'll have testimony from parents uh, of, who have been benefiting by the ESA program, but to have a show of support. Um, to just watch the hearing, that's always good, um, and we can we can show you how to sign in and say that you support and all of that. To let your legislators know that you support the bill is always a good good call. We probably are going to not send out an action alert at this point in time. That might change, but as some of the votes are delicate, I will put it that way. Um, you know, we've just got a strategy on how to try to get to 16 in the Senate. Hopefully, we'll see this out of the Arizona Senate by the end of the month, and then move it through the House quickly. Um, we want to get this done and not have it get caught up in other issues that like it, like tends to happen as the legislature moves toward March and the end of March. We, we'd like to get this done as soon as we can. Of course, I've, I've had a lot of bills through the years that we said that and we're at the end of the session, but hopefully this will not get caught up and we'll be able to get it through quickly. But pray. It, it is not going to be an easy list. I will say that much, so, so please pray. So anything else? Okay, well, thank you, thank you all for joining us this morning. If you have any other questions or, you know, just shoot me an email or give a call. Um, we, we want to be here to serve you and advocate for you. So thank you and God bless. Thanks, Kathy.
Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. You can find me on Twitter at, at Rob Odell AZ. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Haley Sanchez and Carly Henry. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week. 